Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. How does the New Testament describe the church? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Yesterday we began looking at a devotional talk that was given by Tad Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy. He's with the Church Educational System. This talk was given on January 12, 2014 at Brigham Young University, and it was titled, What is the Blueprint of Christ Church? Now, Eric, we went through the first paragraph, his opening lines for this talk, where Callister makes it very clear that there's only one true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. And then he says, what does this mean? And I think that's a great question, because if, in fact, we as New Testament Christians are defining the church in a different manner than Tad Callister, then obviously we are not going to come up with the same conclusion as to what the church is. Right. Callister and the Mormon church itself has often defined the church as an entity, an organization of structure and rules and regulations and offices that have to be followed. But yet we don't really find this in the New Testament. It's not that we don't find officers. We don't find some structure of how the, the meeting is supposed to be held. But the church is not defined the way most people think. And you and I were talking off air how even Christians sometimes will use the expression, I'm going to church, mm -hmm. as if the church is a specific building. I think we can be misleading when we use language like that, but that's a part of our, our vocabulary. It's not totally accurate in light of what the New Testament teaches, but it is an expression that we use, and I think because we use it that way, it can be confusing. Yeah, the word ecclesia is actually referring to the body, the people, not a building or some kind of an organization. And I think we can see that when we look through the Gospels and also the book of Acts when it's referring to the church. Before we do that, let me read you some citations from J.C. Ryle. I love the writings of J.C. Ryle, and these quotes are from a book that he wrote called Holiness. And if you've never read this book, Christian, let me strongly encourage you. You need to read this book. But this is what J.C. Ryle says. He was the Bishop of Liverpool. He lived from 1816 to 1900, so he lived in the 19th century. This is what he says. Now, what is this church? Few inquiries can be made of more importance than this. For want of due attention to this subject, the errors that have crept into the world are neither few nor small. The church of our text is no material building. It is no temple made with hands of wood or brick or stone or marble. It is a company of men and women. It is no particular visible church on earth. And you've probably heard me say many times, the church is really the sum total of human beings who have been forgiven. Mm -hmm. 
That's the church. If you are not forgiven, you cannot be considered part of Christ's church. Now listen to what Ryle goes on to say here. He says, The church of our text is made up of all true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, of all who are really holy and converted people. It comprehends all who have repented of sin and fled to Christ by faith and been made new creatures in him. It comprises all God's elect, all who have received God's grace, all who have been washed in Christ's blood, all who have been clothed in Christ's righteousness, all who have been born again and sanctified by Christ's Spirit, all such of every name and rank and nation and people and tongue compose the church of our text. This is the body of Christ. So when Ryle says it's composed of all who have been washed in Christ's blood, That's speaking specifically of those who have been forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross at Calvary. We put our faith in what Jesus did for us. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. It's imputed to us or added to our account. Ryle also says this, But no visible church has any right to say, We are the only true church. We are the men, and wisdom shall die with us. No visible church should ever dare to stay. We shall stand forever. The gates of hell shall not prevail against me. Hmm. That's exactly what the Mormon church says. That's exactly what it says when it says that we are the only true church. Tad Callister started off his talk by citing Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, verse 30, that says... This is the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. What about Ryle's comments? What he's saying here is really not unorthodox. He just happens to put it in a very concise and winsome way that I think really spells it out in a very clear way. But is he saying something that contradicts what the New Testament teaches? I don't think he does. What does the New Testament teach regarding this? Let me give you just a few verses. One is Matthew eighteen seventeen, which says, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Is he talking about going to a building and tell it to the building or going to an organization and tell it to the organization? Or is he talking about the group of people making up the church? The context certainly makes it appear that he's talking to a group of people that have been called unto Christ. Acts 5.11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I've never heard of a church building having great fear. It's impossible. And certainly when you're talking about the structure or the organization, that kind of understanding is not being implied in the verse that you read. The church there would be, again, the people, those that have been elected unto salvation according to the New Testament. Acts 8.3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Notice how the passage talks about ravaging the church and is talking about the men and women who were Christian believers who were being taken off to prison. Yeah, Saul wasn't having an argument with the structure of those believers when they came to meet in a building. He was ravaging the people that were in the building or wherever they were at that particular time worshiping 
And so we can't draw the conclusion that this is talking about a church entity as is being described by Tad Callister or as the Mormon church has described itself. Just for fun, let me give you a couple others. Uh, Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Well, that's talking about the people, the church itself. And then in Acts 11.22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. The ears of the church, those are the ears of the people that they heard, and so that's why they sent off Barnabas. Well, when we use the expression true church, because we do believe there is a true church, Again, if the true church is made up of individuals that have been forgiven, we are certainly within the definition and the parameters that we find in the New Testament. No problem whatsoever. But the fact is, folks, it's made of forgiven people. And this is why I have a problem when the Mormons come to us and they want to imply that they're Christians just like us. I said, well, what makes you a Christian? When I stick to the issue of forgiveness and I ask a Latter-day Saint, do they have the assurance that all their sins are forgiven? Why is it that so many Latter-day Saints balk at answering yes to that question? If they don't know if they're forgiven, why should I assume that they are a part of Christ's true church? Because you can only get into Christ's true church if you're forgiven of your sins. If you don't know if you're forgiven of your sins, then any claim to be one of Christ's people, according to Matthew 121, is only a presumptuous statement. Bill, how many times have you had a Latter-day Saint come up to you on the street and ask you, which church do you belong to? And they're not going to be satisfied unless you pretty much give them the address of where you go and the denomination's name. They want to know. That's a great point because many times after I've had a long conversation with a Latter-day Saint, they will ask, well, well, what church do you belong to? And I'll remind them. I'll say, it's funny. You'll notice I haven't mentioned that. I have not mentioned where I fellowship on Sundays. And I do fellowship. I believe strongly in the church body. I believe very strongly in that. And I believe very strongly in lifting up the church body and seeing the church body go forth. But I don't bring that up. And I want to remind them of that. I've not even mentioned that. Isn't that odd? All I've been telling them is their need to have forgiveness in what Christ did on the cross. I'm always wanting to point to where they are in light of eternity. I'm not out there selling where I fellowship on Sunday. Now, I would love for them to come with me and fellowship with me on Sunday, but I'm not naive or ignorant enough to believe that where I fellowship on Sunday is the only place any professing Christian should be fellowshipping. And that's exactly what J.C. Ryle is trying to get across in the quotations that I gave earlier. Let me give you a quote from the Blueprint of Christ Church, the talk that Callister gave in 2014, and it shows a difference from what we're talking about and what he's going to talk about in his talk. He says, some years ago, my wife and I needed a bigger home for our growing family, so we found a lot on which to build. We spent some time working on a blueprint that would best accommodate the needs of our family. My wife designed a folding door between our family room and living room that could open up for large family and youth activities. With some extra space over the garage, we designed a room where our children could engage in wholesome activities. A small room was built behind the garage to allow for food and other storage. These and other design elements were incorporated into a blueprint. The home was then 
built pursuant to these plans. As the home was being constructed, we occasionally submitted to the builder a change order that revised the blueprint. When the home was finally completed, it was in exact conformity with our blueprint as revised from time to time. If you took our blueprint and matched it against every home in the world, how many homes would it perfectly match? Only one, our home. Oh, there might be an occasional resemblance here and there, a room the same size, some similar windows, but foundation for foundation, room for room, and roof line for roof line, there would only be one home that perfectly matched the blueprint, our home. And then he goes on to say, in a similar way, Christ built a home to best accommodate the spiritual needs of his children. It was called his church. So you see, folks, right off the bat, we have two different understandings of what the church is. We're not in agreement here at the very beginning of this conversation as to what the church really entails. So how are we going to come to some kind of an agreement on what it is when we're describing two different things here? What we're going to be doing in the next few days is looking at what Tad Callister says are the blueprint for Christ's church. And what you're going to see is that Tad Callister is going to do a lot of bending of some of the terms and words to make his organization fit what he thinks the New Testament is talking about. And we're going to find that he uses most of the points in the 17 points of the true church that we referred to yesterday. So I think it's going to be an interesting series. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.